Fawcett. Uh, as you can see, my beautiful wife is not here with us uh, this morning. She's watching, though. Uh, we just been a very long night. Our son, typical Dylan, uh, <laughs> just was up all night, every hour, uh, with some type of stomach thing, something. So it was just a very long night. So she is home right now, tending to him. Uh, so keep uh, her in prayer. Keep Dylan in prayer. But if I said to you guys, these three titles, Ready to Die, Life After Death, and Born Again, what would you guys think about? Huh? Exactly. Right? The notorious B.I.G., the hip-hop legend, and those three titles are three albums that he had. I'm sorry if y'all didn't pick up on that because y'all was born way after, you know, but... <laughs> Those three titles are the three of his albums in order, Ready to Die, Life After Death, and Born Again. And so as I was reading and preparing for this series, because we have been hinting at you guys for a long time that we were going to be preaching through this, I, this, this journey of sanctification through Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans chapter 8. We've been hitting at it for like a year, right? And so we finally decided we're going to buckle down and we're going to do it. Um, and as I was reading through Romans chapter 6, literally what jumped out at me was this sequence of being ready to die, then life after death, and then what does it look like to live a life born again, and all in Romans chapter 6. And as I seen that, I just thought about, okay, maybe it's the secular in me, but I saw Biggie. <laughs> and I said, huh. This is a cool little series, a little spin, little, little Biggie Smalls album titles that's consistent with what the Bible is actually calling us to do, die, have life after death, and be born again. See, they used to say that the old hip-hop heads had some Bible in them, so I think Biggie read Romans chapter 6, and that's where he got his album titles from. Uh, the content has nothing to do with Romans chapter 6, but the titles, <laughs> I, think that's where, I think that's where he got it from. And so we're going to look at these three titles over the next three messages here through Romans chapter 6, being ready to die, having life after death, and then uh, being born again. Uh-oh, hold on, wait. We on the clock now. For all y'all has haven't heard me speak yet, we, you got to put me on the clock. <laughs> um, but today we're going to focus on that first album title, uh, Ready to Die. Now, normally I wouldn't talk about being ready to die. And if there's anybody here that's present, anybody here that's watching that is actually struggling with this idea of not wanting to exist, listen, I want to just speak purpose and identity and value over your life right now um, and also encourage you to talk to somebody, see somebody, because life is beautiful. And though life is raggedy and earth is raggedy, for sure, that's the new thing, like earth is raggedy, it's ghetto, oh, it's ghetto, earth is ghetto. At the end of the day, man, I hold that to exist is better than to not exist. And so I just want to affirm that. But when I talk about being ready to die, I'm not talking about being ready to no longer exist. Right? I got plans. I got kids. I got dreams. I like living. Let's just be very clear. I know what Paul said, to live is die, uh, to, uh, to live is gain, and to die is Christ. Right? That's cool. I said it backwards. Right? <laughs> and that's cool. I'm just going to rock out with both of them, though. I like living, and when my time is actually over, I'm going to like being with Jesus. <laughs> but in the meantime, I like living. 
so in this case, when I'm talking about being ready to die, context has to matter here, right? In the Old Testament, this idea of dying was something that would free you from a covenant agreement or bondage to some type of agreement that you made. It would actually break that agreement. And so the Bible teaches us that this idea of dying, this idea of death is about releasing, that it releases you from something. It frees you from something. And what is the something that Paul is going to be talking about in Romans chapter 6? Well, it's humanity's biggest problem. What's humanity's biggest problem? Sin. I don't care what they tell you. It's sin. Violence is a manifestation of sin. Divorce is a manifestation of sin. Anger, hate, racism, all of that is a manifestation of sin. The problem behind all of that is sin because our biggest problem is sin. So if our biggest problem is sin, can these natural things actually be the things that deal with the big problem? Or does it take something outside of the problem <laughs> to fix and solve the problem? Well, I believe that it takes something outside of that. And I believe that when we're talking about dealing with our big problem of sin, that dying allows us to live a life in freedom and victory over humanity's biggest problem. Dying allows us to live a life in freedom and victory over humanity's biggest problem, over our biggest problem. And God demonstrated this himself. And this is what I love about God. Because for every problem, God is the solution. And, and, and at first when I wrote that down, I had said, for every problem, God provides a solution. And I said, nah, that ain't right. Nah, nah, nah. For every problem, God is the solution. And so what did he do? He came and he did what? Died on the cross, right? But he didn't just die. He then did what? He rose. And when he rose, what did he do? He declared victory over what? Sin and death. And this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 50, 15, 55 through 56, where death is your victory. Where death is your sting, your power, right? Your venom. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But where is your sting? Because through Christ dying and raising, he defeated sin and death. He defeated the thing that had power over us. And here's what I love about Christ. Because when you read the Gospels, from the moment he came on the scene, his people was like, hey, what you doing, bro? He was like, I got to go die. They like, huh, what? No. He was like, no, never will you die. He like, boy, get behind me, Satan. Because Christ came on the scene ready to die. And why was he ready to die? Because he understood that the formula for defeating sin and death was that death would have to happen. Right? And so he came on the scene willing to die so that he can be resurrected, so that the sting of death, the sting of sin could be removed. And I think that's the same. We are Christ's followers, right? And so I would believe that the same formula applies to us. Right? That those of us who are in Christ, we share in his death and his resurrection through confession, repentance, and baptism, which means we also share in the powerless sting of sin. We also share in the powerless sting of sin. Paul puts it this way, Romans chapter 6, verse 6, and we'll hit on this in depth next week, but let me tailor it, trailer it for a minute. He says this, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be eradicated. 
That's what it say? Render what? Gone. Left. Never to exist again. That what it say? No. It says rendered powerless. That means it has a presence, but it has no power. Right? Through Christ's death and resurrection, when we were buried and we rose, sin didn't leave, but its power was brought to nothing. If we want to live a life of victory over sin, we must understand that as believers, and we must live a life always ready to die. Why? Because through death, sin's power is broken. And if, if we go through life trying to have victory over sin, allowing it to live in us, we'll never be able to see ourselves walk in the victory that we say we desire. And so we got to be willing to break his sin. And so how many of us are ready to die to the things that feel good in our lives that we want to do? Even though it destroys us, even though it affects our relationship with God, how many of us are willing to die to things like social acceptance, willing to die to things like pride, willing to die to things like sexual sin, willing to die to all of these things that dishonor God? How many believers are actually sharing in the victory over sin that is in Christ? Is the Bible wrong? Is sin not rendered powerless in the life of the believer like the Bible says? Because we, we feel like that. We read what the scriptures say, but then we look at our life and we like, eh, it don't look powerless to me. We still feel its effect. We still deal with it. It's still a big problem or it appears to be a big problem in our life. So is the Bible lying? Well, let God be true and every one of us in our feelings a liar. There's a problem when we see believers being ruled by sin that has no power. And I'm not saying we don't experience temptation. I'm not denying that. But what I am saying is that as followers of Christ, sin may be big in presence, but appeased in power. Sin may be big in presence, but appeased in power. So how do we bring this truth to reality? Right? Because it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always look that way in the life of the believer. So how do we bring this truth to our reality? Well, it's by being ready to die. Death does what? separates us from the power of sin. And if more believers walk with this mindset that I'm dead to my flesh, I believe that more believers will walk in victory. It's a mindset thing. I think my wife talked about this last week and in a few messages before that. It's a mindset thing, right? Because we, if we're in Christ, we've already died. If we're in Christ, we've already resurrected, which means sin has no power over us. We have authority over it. So what is the problem then? Then we, the problem is we don't carry that mindset with us. The problem is when sin comes knocking on our door, when temptation comes knocking on our door, we don't remind ourselves, I'm dead to you. Instead, we, we allow ourselves to feel the weight of it and allow temptation to trick us into thinking it has some type of authority and hold on our life. Instead of reminding ourselves every time sin knocks, I am dead to you. So Paul introduces this passage with a problem that still exists today, though, and it's a mindset thing. Because many of us don't carry that I'm dead to sin mindset when we're tempted to sin. Instead, and let's get real, many of us have an abusive mindset. Abuse to what? The grace of God when being tempted. That instead of resisting and fighting, we give in misusing the grace of God. And so Paul says this in verse 1, what should we say? 
Should we continue in sin so that his grace may multiply? Now, without any context, it's like, what is he talking about? Right? Because, you know, we, we jumped in. We thought we're going to start in chapter 6. Like, it's really a search, such thing as chapter 6. Right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but Paul is continuing the thought. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 21, he says this, where sin increased, the grace of God increased even more. Wait, that ain't the verse. Nope, we don't like that verse. Oh, we do, we like it. We don't know what I just said, though. Uh, that would be just 21, 22, 23. Oh, 25, I believe. My bad. Romans chapter 5, it says, 25, I believe it's verse 25. The law came to multiply our trespasses, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Right? This is what Paul, this is the statement that Paul had just made. Right? And so when he makes this statement, he follows up now in Romans chapter 6 with this idea of don't take what I just said and do what you want to do and pervert what I just said. In other words, don't take that I just said where there's a lot of sin, there's a lot of grace. <laughs> right? In other words, he said, don't miss, mess up what I said. And so he begins this argument, and he's telling us, don't misunderstand my teaching. And all around the world, people are abusing the beauty of grace, this beautiful act of God's love, and making it to be a license to sin. But Paul says, should we say that? Should we live lives as believers saying, well, my sin increases God. It's like I'm going to help God be gracious. I'm going to sin a little bit more, God, so that your grace be on display. That is weird. And that is not the way of a believer. But we all know how quickly the heart that is set on evil and sin will pervert the truth of God. So that we can do what we want to do. You know, like Christian liberty. Somehow Christian liberties became do what you want to do, sin all day. My liberty, I'm free in Christ. Uh, I don't think that's what the Baptist meant. And I'll prove it. Raise your hand if you can say that you never sinned intentionally based on knowing that God will forgive you. See, point proof. We're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of being faced with sin and thinking, I probably shouldn't do this. But man, God will forgive me, and I want to do it. All of us. I ain't raised my hand either. Right? I'm guilty of it at times as well. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We're talking mindset. We will never have consistent victory over temptation and sin with the perverted view of God's grace. If we are walking around with this idea that, well, God has just forgive me, God has just, you will never have victory over sin with that type of view and abuse of what God's grace is in our life. And I've chosen this at many times. Because the stress suggests my own desires to give in to sin. But let me tell you something. Every time I lived with that mindset, I went into a season of sin. But it wasn't until I was like, what am I doing? No, I'm dead to you that I was able to come out of that season. But as long as I kept being like, nah, man, it's cool, man. God will forgive me. I ain't fight. I don't resist. And, and some people may say this is, this is legalistic and, and pharisaical, and that's fine. They can say whatever they want. This is what I do in my life. I fight against sin like there is no grace. 
That's how I approach it. I resist sin like this ain't it. If I mess, and, 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 and it's, it's kind of bad too. Like, so I, I do got to always, God, you got to bring me back. Like, chill out, bro. You know, I remember when my, when my wife and I was dating, right? We, we were pure and, and we waited till marriage and all of that stuff. But in sometimes that we got a little, yeah, a little too close. And I kid you not, my wife is here right now. She'll tell you. I had, I've called her in the middle of the night like, I just think I'm about to die. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, I think we went too far and I just got about to kill me. I don't even want to go to, I'm, listen, I'm not lying to you guys. Ask her. She's not here. So just text her and see if I'm telling the truth, right? And my, she would be like, it ain't her. And my, I'm like, yo, carnal mind. She's like, it ain't that deep. <laughs> I'm over here like, yes, it is. Like, <laughs> I'm fighting. I'm like, ain't no grace. <laughs> it's, but I carry my life thanking God for his grace, but I fight and resist sin like if I messed up. It's all over. So I can testify that every time I fought and reminded myself that I don't have to abuse God's grace, but to fight like there isn't, that I walked in victory. And some of us don't see victory because we carry this perverted view of God's grace, because we think that it's cool. God loves us. He'll just forgive us. And we can just walk in sin and do anything that we want to do. Say a little prayer in the morning or even before if you're one of those mobsters, right? You just go pray first and then go kill people. You know those mob movies? And the priests do whatever they, I don't know why, how they thought that was cool. But Paul makes this argumentation, and he takes it a bit further, because watch what Paul said. Paul actually says, perverting the grace of God as a license to sin is not consistent with a follower of Christ. It's not consistent with someone who is a follower of Christ. He says, should we continue in sin that grace may apply or multiply? And then he says in verse 2, Absolutely not. Now, I don't want to be a geek here, and I'm about to do this to sound all deep, but I just personally love the Greek here. <laughs> right? And here's why I love it. Because watch, 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 watch what it says. Watch how, watch how this actually reads. Okay. So in the Greek, you have different verb moves. Right? I'm tweaking here a little bit. Russ, shut me down a little bit, please. Um, what, in, 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 in the Greek, you got different verb moves. One of those are subjunctive. And what a subjunctive mood means is that it's a possibility. So, 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 so it speaks to not reality, but possibility or plausibility, right? Now, here's the thing. Continue and multiply in that, in that verse are both subjunctive verbs. So, in other words, it could be, should we continue in sin? Possibly. So that grace may abound or multiply, possibly, right? But if you just left it like that, that don't sound theologically correct. So what you, what you do in the Greek when you want to take a subjunctive verb that speaks to a possibility and make sure that it is absolutely clear that it's not possible is you place a negative participle in front of it, either um or may, right? So, so what Paul says is, should we continue in sin that grace may multiply? And then he says, may genome. Absolutely not. But the not is a negative participle. And what it does is it removes all possibility at all from it. So this is how it actually reads. Should we continue in sin? Absolutely not. Not possible. So that grace may multiply. Absolutely not. Not possible. Not possible to continue in sin as a believer. But also, it ain't possible that grace will continue to multiply 
for the person who lives in habitual, intentional, willful sin. Absolutely, there is no possibility of either of those statements being true. Paul doesn't coddle those who are perverting the grace of God. He makes it clear that such a perversion about the love and the grace of God is absolutely not consistent with the follower of Christ. And anybody who leans on the grace of God to walk in intentional, habitual, willful sin is questionable because that is the fruit of unbelief. Okay, that's legalistic, so let the Bible say it. 1 John 3, 9. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed, and we'll talk more about that next week, remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. And again, not going to give you a bunch of Greek, but the language is speaking to a continual habitual walking in. That's why some of your translations will say uh, everyone who has been born of God will not practice sin. Right, Because it's speaking about a habitual, intentional, ongoing, without repentance, just living it up, live and let live. YOLO, you only live once, do it up, do whatever you want to do. Right? And y'all know what I say, you do only live once, but you can die twice. Oh, y'all missed it. You can die twice, because you can die physically, and then when you resurrect for judgment, when Christ comes back, you can die again. What's the second death? Hell. That's what the Bible says. So you can let that one life give you two deaths. Or you can live your life like Christ, die once, resurrect to eternal life. You got, we got to just pick which one we want. We want to die twice or die once. I take my one life, die once, and then live forever. That's how, that's, that's that. I like those odds. I'll roll that dice. And so I love this statement by William, Bar- by William Barclay. He says this. How despicable. It would be for a son to consider himself free to sin because he knows that his father would forgive him. And this perversion of using God's grace to live in sin freely is equally despicable as a son or a daughter who knew that just because we love them, that they can do whatever they want and disobey us and not care. Okay. Maybe you're not parents. Okay. Let's, let's, let's switch it up. Because don't y'all, y'all got some booze? Okay. So this perversion of grace would be equally as despicable as you being in a relationship with your boo thing, them doing anything and everything they want to do, and then coming back to you and saying, but you love me. There is not a sane human being in the world that will tell you that's love. But we do it to God and think that that is love. Okay. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, if you love me, you will intentionally abuse my love flowing as grace. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Intentionally living a life of abusing the grace of God is not the mark of someone who loves and has died with Christ. Y'all still want to walk in victory, right? Okay. Raise your hand if you want to walk in victory. Okay. Then keep absorbing this truth for a second. We're going to get out of it in a minute. Just absorb this truth. And hear my words. Don't let social media... All these other people, these false shepherds, these false prophets convince you that it's okay. You know, it's okay. God loves you. He'll forgive you. Okay, it's true. God does love you. It's true. God will forgive you if you're a Christian. Right? And so I'm going to agree that they're right. Christ loves you. 
but intentionally walking in sin, abusing passages that speak to nothing separating you from the love of Christ is not okay or right. And sadly, the voice of these false prophets, these false shepherds are speaking louder and more popular and more acceptable than the voice of God's servants. And when I think about this today, I'm thinking about Israel. And it's so sad because before Israel went into the Babylonian captivity, they had a chance to repent. God sent them Jeremiah to warn them of their sin and warn them to repent. You know what happened? When Jeremiah came with the message of God, the false prophets, the false shepherds, this is why also later on God says, These, I'm going to raise up for you shepherds after my own heart, right? There's a lot of shepherds that ain't after God's heart that is leading people into wrath and sin and destruction. While the people that are shepherds that are actually after God's heart are, are not popular. They're being rejected. People are running away from them. Jeremiah went to them with the actual message of God, repent and turn or face consequences. And these shepherds, these false shepherds were speaking louder and more acceptable to Israel, and they listened to them. And because they listened to them, they went into captivity. And some of these, okay, Jeremiah 14, 11 and 14, let's just read it. Then the Lord said to me, do not pray for these, for the well-being of these people. Like people be, some people, like if you just read the Bible, some of these weirdo social media Stuff be clear. God said, don't pray to me no more about these people. <laughs> Name somebody on social media that's going to tell you that God will say don't pray about them. God said, I'm done. Mm -hmm. You can talk. I ain't listening. And why? He said, if they fast, I will not hear their cry of despair. Mm. And he tells you why. They fast and they're doing all this stuff, but they, 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 they're practicing injustice. They're doing all this wickedness, but they're fasting. We ain't walking with the Lord, but we fasting. We got the outward stuff going for us. Then he said, you're just on a diet. You're just hungry. Pay attention because we got our prayer and fasting ministry happening. So when you fast on that day, make sure your prayer is working. Be right. <laughs> be right, okay? We want to be covered on that day. <laughs> but look what else he says. I got to hurry. Look what else he says. <laughs> Remember, we back to that. I got to hurry. They like, we ain't heard that in a long time. Look, look what else he say. If they offer burnt offerings, who knows what a burnt offering is? Right? It's in a general sacrifice for the atonement of sin. He says, hey, if they offer burnt offerings, you know what a grain offering is? It was brought as an act of worship. Right? He says, they can bring their atonement and they can bring their worship. I will not accept them. This is, this is what God is saying. Rather, he says this, I will finish them off by sword, famine, and plague. That's what God says. And Jeremiah got this message in his mouth. <laughs> I feel like Jeremiah sometimes. <laughs> Jeremiah like, hey, y'all, I, 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 know, I know what they saying, but, but let me just. So, so, you know, like, the, the, the sword and, the, you know, like, so, so God, like, okay, listen, don't cancel me, but I just got to tell you this. Like, that's how Jeremiah would be in the day. Like, don't cancel me. Listen, listen, let me keep my subs up, get my subs up, but I got to tell you something. But listen, look at this. And I replied, this is Jeremiah, oh, no, Lord, God, the prophets are telling them you won't see the sword or suffer the famine. Wait, but God just said you will. But these false shepherds, these false prophets, they're telling them, hey, I know that they're telling you to repent, but you good. God still love you. He still got you. You ain't going to deal with no consequences. He's a good, good father. 
I will certainly give you lasting peace in this place. No, you're not. you gone, bro. Nebuchadnezzar on his way right now. <laughs> but the Lord said this to Jeremiah. These prophets are prophesying a lie in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak to, uh, nor did I command them or speak to them. All right, they talking. They ain't talking to me. They just talking. Why? They are prophesying to you false visions. Listen, man, I can just see, man, in your future, man, the Lord got something good for you. You know, he going to bless your mess, okay? Um, worthless divination, same thing, more visions, more, you know, listen, man, in your future, I just see, I see, I see him. I see him. I see her, too. Mm-hmm. I see prosperity. Bentleys. I see Bentleys. Yeah, I see Bentleys. I see Bentleys. I see ben- Pearl. It got pearl paint with flakes. Mm, come on. Yes. Mm. Listen, listen, listen. I got. I can't be playing around. We got a lot to get to. Listen, listen. Then he says this. The, de- the, de- the, de- uh, uh, the prophesying false visions, worthless divinations, the deceit of their own minds. Because they ain't talking to me. So where they getting this stuff from? Their own minds. Their own wicked thoughts. Their own evilness in their heart. By the way, though, Jeremiah got the real message. But do you see what happens? God warns the people, the prophets say it ain't going to happen, and yet the people held to the voice of the false prophets over the voice of Jeremiah because he didn't preach what affirmed them. But he preached a message that called them out to turn from it. And as believers, y'all, we got to stop running from instruction that doesn't affirm our foolishness, and we got to stop running to what makes us feel good rather than what promotes growth and gratitude to what God has done on the cross for us. So excuse me, if I won't affirm you in your sin, I'm trying to give you victory, not comfort. I'm not, I'm the wrong one to call for coddling. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I'm going to love on you graciously. But after I finish, you know, okay, I understand. Okay, so what are we going to do about it now? Okay, I I understand all of that, but we got to fix the wrong, though, right? I know, I know what they did. I know what they did, but what you going to do, right? We should receive God. Now, let, let's get to some grace right here, though, all right? Let's get some grace right here. Because I'm not saying that if you fall in any area of your life that that's not the mark of a believer. I'm not dealing, I'm dealing with continual, intentional, willful walking in sin, abusing the grace and love of God. I'm not saying if you stumble. We all stumble. That's what grace is for. Right. There is grace when we sin. We should receive God's grace when we stumble, but we should never abuse God's grace to walk in sin. The grace of God covers our stumbles, but it is never a license to sin. Why do we stumble? Because we had a sanctification process. y'all. James chapter three, verse two. For we all stumble in many ways. For we all stumble in many ways. That means you got a few areas. No matter what you say, I can just be like, nah, you got a couple. Nah, you got a couple. I look in the mirror and be like, yeah, you got a few. (laughs) If anybody does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to also control his whole body. This means that while we're striving to overcome, we sometimes allow ourselves to get caught up. Right? Sometimes we just get caught slipping. Right? Having a bad day. Loose with our lips. Right? Okay. But God knows that this is a sanctification process. And so while we're striving to walk with God, sometimes 
we blocked the number, but they called from a different one, and we accidentally picked up. And we was like, shoot, they got it. Dang it. That's what it, they called from another number. And you get caught like that as soon as you pick up. Uh, Mr. Tank, shoot. Block. <laughs> like, how you get this number? I done picked up the phone on accident a couple times. Like, I got three minutes to go somewhere. You know what I'm talking about. I got three minutes to go somewhere. This is the problem because I don't put numbers in my, I like I don't put names in my phone. It takes like a month for me to actually put your name next to your number in my phone. Like I got a problem. Like we got to at least talk two or three times before I actually like put it in my phone. So if we only talk like once or twice, I'll be having to scroll through when I want. I'm like, dang, what is, okay, I, it was last week. All right, uh. And so my phone ring, got three minutes to go somewhere. And I'm like, hmm, Jesus. I don't recognize, hello? Hey, uh, uh, okay. Notice something. James says that the one who does not stumble is what? Mature. And I love that because the implication is that as we grow in the Lord, not in age, we become more mature. And the mature believer will have less stumbles and more victories. Now, I got to go on my soap popper for a minute because pay attention. You will never grow in maturity without reading, learning, and applying the word of God. It's not religious acts. It's spiritual formation. John 17, 17, sanctify them. We talking about saint, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What sanctifies us? Come on. We got to be in it. And I'm not saying there's not other spiritual formations. I'm not saying prayer doesn't matter. But most people like praying. And that's great because prayer speaks to our dependence on God. Right? So I'm good with it. Keep praying. But you know why people like to pray more than they like to read? Because of this statement right here. I talk to God every day. I talk to God every day. But when I read the Bible, he talks back to me. And we like to talk way more than we like to listen. Right? The Bible starts talking back, and we don't really like what he's saying. Well, I mean, I ain't whatever. I ain't that. You prideful. No, I ain't. <laughs> But look what Paul says. Paul says, how would I know what it means to not covet if your word had not said, do not covet? How do, how, how do I know how to walk in the ways of the Lord if I don't read his word where he tells me how to walk in his ways? So we don't grow in the Lord listening to people affirming our foolishness. We grow in the Lord by letting the uncomfortableness of the word of God sanctify us. All right, let's, let's get back. He follows up to absolutely not with the why. He says this in verse 2 as well. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin do what? Still live to it. (laughs) Now, I want you all to really pay attention to me here. Because now we're about to really talk about how we can really get to some victories. Because Paul's argumentation says a lot. Because remember, death separates. So Paul says, how is it even possible to think like that? Because how do you die to sin and still live to it at the same time. And I know that's hard for some of us to, con- to grasp, <laughs> right? Because, like, today people be in relationships and they be like, it's complicated. I mean, we're not together, but we're not not together either. So if you're in that situation, from one mature relationship to an immature one, let me say this. You either is 
Oh, you ain't. If you ain't, you isn't either. <laughs> right? And in the same way, we either is or we ain't dead. We either dead to sin or alive to it, but you can't be alive to it and dead to it at the same time. It's not complicated. Dead is dead. Live is live. Yeah. Colossians 3, 5 through 9. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were what? Living to them. <laughs> but you're dead now. So how you, okay. But now, put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices. So, if we are supposed to put off these practices, how do we use God's grace as a license to keep doing it? If we're called to put these things off, how do we then use God's grace as a license to keep doing these things? As believers, we have to get to a place in our mind where we consider ourselves dead to sin and not alive to it. But now I want you to pay attention to something. Because I done said a lot, and you may feel it, may not feel it. But let me help you with something. Because notice that Paul says that we are dead to sin. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that sin is dead to us. We are separating ourselves from sin. But sin ain't trying to separate itself from us. We're dead to sin. Sin is not dead to us. So what it does is it uses temptation. Because we're dead to it. So it uses temptation to try to resurrect its power in our life. Because if you know anything about resurrection, outside of Jesus, you need something else to resurrect you. So sin can't resurrect itself in your life by itself. So what does it do? Right? Since it can't resurrect itself in your life, it uses temptation to try to get you to do it. It uses temptation to try to get you to open the door. And allow it back in. And allow it power that it doesn't have. It doesn't have any power. Right? And a lot of us are being fooled and tricked by temptation. Because we think we're dead to something. And then all of a sudden, stuff starts knocking at the door. And now we're sitting there like, shoot, thought I was dead to that. Guess I'm not. And you start feeling like you're powerless. Right? But it's just sin trying to resurrect itself in your life, right? This is why even though you, you died to pornography, it tries to resurrect itself when you're lonely and stressed, right? You died to addiction, but it tries to resurrect itself when you're lonely and stressed. You died to anger and violence, but it tries to resurrect itself with ignorant people. All right, I'm, can, can, okay, transparent. I'm, so, so the other day, uh, St. Patty's Day, late night, me and my guys hit the bike, roll downtown. We're just riding around, go to a little taco store, little taco thing, get a little something to eat. We're coming back, we're on ninth, and we're on our bike. And, and, and it, it was so packed, I was like, ah, so we kept going. So my dude ended up getting, getting some gas. And so we're trying to get to the pump with him, and this car, like, was doing, the car was doing some weird stuff. And so I'm like, man, what is this person doing, man? So I don't pay no mind. Then they start backing up. They about to hit my other dude on his bike. We like, what are they doing? So I'm like, they tripping. So I go around them. I park in front of my dude's bike. So this is bike. 
the car comes in, and I'm off my bike, and I'm looking. And I'm like, is that going to stop? So now I walk, and I'm looking at them, and they looking, and I'm looking at them, and they stop right there. And, and, and the, the guy in the car, he mumbles something, but whatever. So then I'm like, so I'm looking, I'm like, really? So I'm like, whatever. My dude, he's like, I ain't worried about it. I got insurance. I'm like, all right, whatever. You ain't worried about it. I ain't worried about it. So I go into the store. I'm going to get me a Red Bull. <laughs> so I go get my Red Bull, and I'm walking out, and, and homeboy that was in the car, like, walked by. And of course, he does the stare down thing, and I'm just like, oh, whatever. But I got the Holy Spirit. So I'm like, I'm not selling this kid, man. And he, I'm like, he's drunk. It's St. Patty's Day. I'm not selling this kid. So now we back at the thing. We putting gas in the car. And my dude was talking about, like, because they got victories or whatever, and they was talking. So next thing we know, I'm putting my pump up, and dude's standing outside the pump, and I don't even know what he's saying. We got our music on, too, so I don't even know what he's saying, but he's saying something. But we, we're ignoring him. Now, I, it's two Christians and two non-Christians. Okay. So, <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and I'm pumping the gas, and I put my thing up, and I'm putting my stuff in my, getting my glasses out, and all I hear is, cuss word with me, you won't have that victory. And then in a moment of my flesh in stride, I'm like, what you just said? And, 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 and thank God that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than what my flesh wanted to do in that moment. Because it was just, a, it was an accumulation. You'd almost hit him. You'd have said something crazy. You'd have stared me down walking out the gap. I'm, I'm trying to mind my, now you, now you just blatantly going, what you going, what you going, you going to hit our bikes now. Okay. God got me. Why did I give that illustration? Because I had con- I needed to confess it first off. <laughs> but second off, that quick moment. I'm not an angry or violent person. I ain't been angry and violent in a lot of years. But sin tries to resurrect itself through just ignorant people. Right? You thought you died to dependence, but it still tries to get you resurrected. Uh, it tries to resurrect itself when you're disappointed, when you're disappointed. But here's the thing. Just because temptation knocks, it doesn't mean you need to answer. And also, just because you're tempted, it doesn't mean you haven't died to it. Let me say that again. Just because you're tempted, it doesn't mean you haven't died to it. Being tempted to something doesn't mean you haven't died to it. Why? Because dying to sin doesn't separate us from sin's presence. Dying doesn't eradicate sin from our lives. Instead, Paul just simply says it is rendered powerless. You are dead to it. It's just trying to resurrect, and it tries to resurrect through temptation. Just because you're tempted, you're still dead to it. And this is where the mindset has to kick in. When it knocks, I reply, (laughs) dead to you, try next door. I know you shouldn't send them next door, but get on my house. (laughs) But this is why we have grace. It's not as a license to sin, but because sometimes we lose that fight, right? Sometimes we pick up that call. But Paul was talking about the intentional person who simply says, because God will forgive me, I am going to do what I want to do and live how I want to live. But to die with Christ is to be delivered from the habitual practice, power, and dominion of sin. To live in it is to walk in habitual practice, power, and dominion of sin. But we must remember that if we're going to walk in victory, that we are not ruled by sin, rather we are ruled by God. We talked about, uh, they talked about bowing a little bit ago, and we talked about that in some Bible study on 
on Wednesday that 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 it, it it is a physical, it has a very physical presence, but 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 even more than physical, what it means is that to bow is to pledge your allegiance. Right? To have a heart posture that is bowed before the Lord is to have a heart posture that says, I I I am in I'm a, my allegiance is with Christ. My allegiance is with God. Right? And when we accepted Christ, we changed allegiances. Right? And so this is why Paul reminds those who desire to abuse the grace of God in Romans 6, 3. Or are you unaware that you who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He's like, how are you talking like that? Did you forget that when you accepted Christ, when you were baptized, that you died to sin? How can you possibly be talking about abusing the grace of God to live in sin when you died to it? Did you forget that already? Right? And we think sometimes we're just getting wet. Right? But it's more than that. It has a very symbolic spiritual implication when we get baptized. Jesus was not concerned with people getting dunked in water. Sure, there's some purification things, Old Testament purification laws, the baptism kind of, some people argue falls in, but no. What Jesus was concerned about was us dying with him so that we can resurrect with him in newness of life. Jesus wants us to baptize people because something spiritual happens when we go in the water. When we go in the water, spiritual chains of sin are broken off of us. And when he resurrects us up, when we raise out of that water, now we, are, we went down and broke the chain. But if we just stayed dead, we just dead free people. So he tricked the enemy. He said, hi, you killed him. Chains released. I tricked you. I'm raising him up. Now he walks free. We don't come out of the grave with the same chains that we went in the grave with. Right? Now we come out of the grave free to shackle ourselves to Christ. That's what we're going to talk about in Born Again. But I want to remind you guys today that you don't have to abuse the grace of God. You don't have to keep losing this fight of temptation. And here's why. Because not only did you die, but you rose. Right? Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we were buried with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. So we're buried. And that speaks to the certainty of death for the purpose of resurrecting into newness of life. In other words, we die to raise and receive power to walk differently. Let me close with this. The idea of walking is this Old Testament metaphor that, it, that, that oftentimes was used of Israel, and it referred to them obeying the commands of God. For example, Deuteronomy 26, 17, today you have affirmed that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways, keep his statutes, commands, and ordinances, and obey him. Right. Walk in his ways. Paul is using the word walk in the same way. Right. He says, don't walk. What? According to the flesh. Don't obey the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. Obey the spirit. Obey not the flesh. Obey the spirit. Walking. Walking represents obedience to something. And so when Paul speaks of walking in newness of life, he is talking about a life characterized by obedience to Christ. And you may remember that a few weeks ago, Reem preached a message. In Ephesians chapter 2, and the first two verses said what? You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons, uh, now at work in the disobedient. What brought death related to judgment? Walking according to the ways of this world, obeying this world. Because to obey this world is to obey the spiritual headship, the false god of this world, which is Satan. 
So before we died and was resurrected with Christ as a new man, the old man walked in such a way that leads to death. But when we died with Christ, we were resurrected with power over sin. We now are able to walk in ways in which God now leads us to life. We no longer walk according to the old man, which leads to death, but we now walk according to the new man, which leads to life. What comes out of the water is not spiritually supposed to be what went into it. This is Paul's argument against all those who believe that they can be believers and abuse the grace of God. He says, in death, that new man doesn't live like that. And let's be clear. Unbelievers do. God is extending his grace to them all day long, and they reject it. But that is not the mark of a believer. That is not the mark of someone who wants to live a victorious life in Christ. It is not simply are you ready to die, but are you living a dead life to sin? Do you carry that mindset with you? As you go through life in this world and you're trying to navigate the sins of this world, the cares of this world, the temptations of this world, are you carrying with you the I am dead mindset? Or are you leaning on something that was never meant to give you a license to walk in sin? This is how we're going to get. This is step one to how we get to walk in more victory over sin. You got to die. That means you got to be a believer. You will never have power over sin if you have not confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You are fighting a losing battle. Because next week we'll talk about where that power comes from in that new life. But we don't have it on our, on our, in ourselves. But in the other sense, if you are a believer, you will never walk in victory over sin if you don't walk and continue to carry and live out a life with the mindset that I'm dead to sin. This is why Jesus says, die daily. It's not I die once and I'm good. I have to make a decision. Every time sin tries to resurrect its ugly face in my life to say, I am dying to you. Again, over and over and over again. I am dying to you. That has to be the mindset if we want to see victory over sin in this world. Sin no longer controls us. Because we died to it and we rose with Christ. So, yes, there's a big sin problem, but through death, the big problem has been conquered. The problem is now on us. Why? Because we have everything we need to live a victorious life. So the question is, are you ready to die and live with that I'm dead mindset? Because until we do, we'll never walk in the victory of Christ. Next week, we'll talk about life after death and we'll talk about the power over sin and how Paul is putting, uh, not putting his faith in us, but putting his faith in the spirit power to give us life but this week we wanted to deal with a mindset next week we'll deal with the source so first we have to have a different mindset about things I always tell people until you just like the reality is the holy spirit has to do with sin never can we eliminate the holy spirit but we also have to make up in our minds the holy spirit going to do his job but we got to make up in our mind too that i don't want to do this no more right we got to make up in our own mind because now we got we sick of it defense and Holy Spirit's power defense, right? But many of us haven't made up in our own minds yet that what God said is wrong is wrong. We agree that it's wrong when it's the things that we don't like. But when it's the things that we love, when it's the things that we desire, I like gossiping, so I don't think that's that bad. I like gambling, so what, what is it? It's all right. God will forgive me. Just a little gambling, 
right? I like women. He put them all on this earth, right? I'm supposed to be able to have them. Not, baby, that's, I, you know, one, one, one man. Yep. I'm just, that's what they say. <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> right? We start to change up our language when it's the things that we want to do. But my prayer is that this message has taught us something about the reality of freedom. I pray that if there's anyone here today that, you know, God is convicting you and saying, listen, there's some areas in my life where I really just be abusing God's grace. That if he convicted you of that, that you would repent of that today. Right? We do it. We all do. We all have done it. Some are currently doing it. The question, though, is not have you been doing it. The question is, now that you know it's not consistent with the life of a believer, will you show the fruit of repentance? And say, God, listen, I apologize. I know you will forgive me. I know you do love me. I know that there is grace at the cross, and I receive that. Because the other side of this story is that the enemy doesn't want you to even be able to receive grace. The other side of this story is the enemy makes you feel so bad that you don't even think you're worthy of God's grace. Right? That's equally bad. 2 Corinthians 7, for worldly sorrow leads to death, but godly sorrow leads to Repentance. If you feel like you want to die afterwards, that ain't from God. But if you feel like you want to repent and, and, and you want to change, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. That ain't right. Right? So you have to place yourself in a position to receive the grace of God. But that doesn't mean do what I want to do. Live how I want to live. Be me. Do you. That's worldly talk that is inconsistent with God's word. And if we stay off Instagram long enough to get into his word, we'll quickly see how inconsistent these thoughts that we have are. Because that nonsense that they be talking is another reason we'll never walk in victory. Because you got all the people all over the place, all giving, just telling you anything is okay. And then we suck it up because we want to. That's why Timothy says in the later days, people will raise up teachers after their own heart with the itchy ears. They'll just raise up. The, I don't like what Tank said. I'm going to go find me somebody that say what I like. And you will. Just Google it. Type it in. Just scroll through the gospel. Go to religious reels and just scroll. You'll find somebody on there saying something don't make no sense. If I had enough time, I'd put some sense on there, but I don't got no time to even make it real. <laughs> so I pray that you have made a decision here today to die and also to wake up every morning ready to die. God, I'm ready to choose you today. My morning prayer every morning is, God, help me choose you. And for me, it's not the big things. I'm not cheating. I don't have a, a, a struggle with pornography. I ain't getting high. I ain't, I ain't, that ain't, for me, it's other stuff. But it's like, God, help me choose you. And though, help me choose you when I want to be prideful, when I want to be independent. Because that's sin too. Help me when, when, help me when I want to be selfish.
Because selfishness is not consistent with the mind of Christ. And so, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your message. I thank you for your word, God. I pray that it was received by your spirit in their lives. Uh, Father, I pray that we would all walk away and just carry on our week, repeating this over and over and over. I'm dead. I'm dead. Nope, dead to it. Nope, dead to it. Not answering. I don't have to. You don't control me. Right, because we like to tell people that you don't control me. Let's tell our flesh that. You don't control me. Sorry, not today. Father, help us to apply that to our life as we go and deal with the different things that we deal with in everyday life. It's in Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we transition to um, communion, uh, I may mention to selfishness not being consistent with the mind of Christ. Because when you read the Bible, Christ did a selfless act. Right? He came not seeking his own will. He came to die. Not for himself. He was perfect already. But he came to die for you. He came to die that you may be free from sin. He came to die that you may be able to have reconciliation with the Father. He came and he took on sin that you could be free from it. And so as we prepare and to eat of the bread, I want us to remember that when we share in the bread, we are sharing in the broken body of Christ who selflessly gave himself up for you and I. And as we think on that, let us eat together as a family. And after they ate the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Blood that represents the life of Jesus poured out for you. Blood that offers forgiveness to those who believe on Jesus Christ. And so when we drink of this cup, we are reminding ourselves that, again, that Jesus poured out his life for you and I and that we have forgiveness, not to abuse it, but to receive it. So let us drink together. Again, Father, you are good. You are worthy to be praised. You are better than good. Father, I thank you for your son, his, his life, his death, his resurrection. Father, I thank you that in him I have eternal life. Father, I thank you that though the wages of sin is death, God, the gift of God is Jesus Christ. And that in that is we have eternal life. Through him we have eternal life. Father, I thank you that because we've chosen death, we get to live. We get to live today. We get to live eternally in your presence, God. So, Father, let us carry such gratitude with us as we go and fight. Fight the enemy's hand in our life. 
fight our flesh trying to resurrect in our life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I appreciate you guys, and I thank you guys for being here with us today. We are not going to do... We are not going to do Q&A today. <laughs> uh, They're like, oh, when you preach, he ain't can't ask you no questions. Nope. No, no, we're not going to do Q&A today. Just what we have to do. Um, we need to do some membership certificates. And uh, so I want to do that and still be able to get us out on time. I have about 10 minutes left here in service. But I truly do want to encourage you guys to, to don't, don't, don't forget step one. Right, sometimes when you're going through a series, you don't get the full thing in one message, right? And so we talked about not abusing God's grace. We talked about death and dying being the way that we can walk in victory, right? And but, it, but next week, Paul starts talking about the power that we have now that we have life after our death, right? And so we're going to talk about what that power is and how we, I don't want to say tap into it, that seems really mystic, uh, but how we uh, embrace that power that is within us, right? And then in, 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 in the third part of uh, Romans chapter 6, he now talks about how we should live as born-again people as it relates to sin, right? And then we'll get into chapter 7, and we'll talk about the fact that it gets, we, we blow it all up, <laughs> and we can't figure it all out, and dead people keep bringing dead things back to life. And then in Romans chapter 8, we'll go back to the solution to all of that. So it's a whole journey from Romans 6, 7, and 8. So take some time, read it on your own, understand what it's saying. Um, as we go into Bible studies next week, or the younger, well, yeah, next week, um, we'll have, like, discussion stuff for you based on the message. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that was just part one. At this time, before we close, I just want to acknowledge uh, two people. Raphael, can you hand me those?